I remember saying quite often that when I have this or when we have reached this, then I will have time to do sports. Then I will have time for myself. And um, then somebody just said like, there's never going to be that moment. This is Nordic Founders Stories, a show about those from the Nordic countries who took a leap of faith by starting to build something and what went down along the way. I'm Patrick Bates, and on the show today, how Sari Herma Metila, together with her two co-founders, used academic research to get more kids interested in science. If you think about it, children are scientists by nature. They have a seemingly boundless curiosity about the world around them. They are always eager to know how things work and why things are as they are. Like educated scientists, they observe closely, they ask questions and try to figure out why things happen. But for some reason, that curiosity seems to decline when they become teenagers. It turns out that it's too late to change this phenomenon during secondary school as the attitudes towards science are already formed in preschools. This is exactly what Dr. Yeni Vartyanyan discovered at University of Helsinki. Her data was collected with a research team from hosting over 1,000 science clubs for children in the age of three to six. During this research period, the clubs had gained such strong popularity among families that they wanted more. In processing the positive feedback, the idea of establishing what eventually became kiddie science had already begun. First, Einar Kuronen joined as a co-founder. She had previously worked as a science club teacher and also co-developed the playful science education model kiddie science uses. But in order to actually create a company out of it, they soon realized they'd need a businesswoman. And that's where our guest... Sari Herma Metela came into the picture. After having two kids, she was at the point in her life where she wanted to do something more meaningful, rather than just continuing her otherwise well-established corporate career. So when she was presented the opportunity to join Aino and Jenny, it didn't take long until she accepted and therefore joined as the third and final co-founder of Kitty Science. If we for a second just turn back time to Sari's childhood, she remembers how in school she was never a 10 out of 10 student. Instead, she was the confident type that let her curiosity lead the way and learned by doing. For some reason, I have had always the confidence of saying my thoughts out loud and haven't been afraid of saying things wrong. Maybe it's that I have had somehow the natural curiosity of trying to find out things. And I have actually thought about this recently a lot and like where that kind of a confidence has come from. And I think I have to thank my mom and dad. They haven't been saying like, oh my God, why did you have this bad test result or whatever? Like it's always like, yeah, good that you tried and you can do better next time if something goes wrong and it's not like end of the world and Maybe there the confidence comes from partly there. But then actually, when I was five year old, I saw my cousin 
was working for these commercial modeling things where she was acting in TV. And I said to my mom, like, I actually want to do that as well. I was only like five year old. And then my mom was like, well, if you want to try it, fine. And I was then surrounded by these random people taking pictures, being on the stage and everything. And I think that kind of triggered the confidence of being there openly out there doing something. So, of course, you have to have a certain level of confidence of even trying that or doing that. But then that has helped me that no matter what happens, things turn out really, really great. Can you explain sort of what emotions went through you? Like, how did that feel to be part of it? Such a young age is so unique. My mom told me that in some cases, of course, it was that I was in some kind of a modeling agency. And then you got money from being on those gigs and doing those photo shoots and commercials. And, and then I remember my mom saying like, okay, there is some problems with they are not paying the salary fast enough or something hassle. I remember that really clearly. And then I was for my mom like, I don't care. I don't do this for money. I just love doing it. And it was really lovely. And I think we even had this kind of a community because of course I wasn't always only one child in one situation of the shootings. And there we had like this maybe four four childs who were quite often in the same sh photo shooting. So it was also like a hobby and meeting friends occasionally uh, in those settings and shows. So it was something I really liked. Do you think that that particular moment of your life, being five years old and, and thrown in front of a camera and put on this sort of pedestal, do you think that is really the catalyst that maybe shaped who you became later on down the road? I think it affected a lot because then that triggered the situation that when I was playing guitar, I went to a music academy. There were these shows of where you had to show your skills, how you play guitar and these kind of things. Uh, it wasn't like a bad thing for me because I've already been on the stage, different situations. And the same happened that I actually uh, was really loving when we had drama school theater stuff in the school and we had every Christmas or spring these kind of uh, events and then I was super happy of being part of those so it generated then more of those moments which I liked and then I, it turned out great or um, that it gave me inspiration and fun funny moments and uh, yeah so I think it started from there when I was five and already exposed in those situations. If we fast track a little bit, so you, you had a very interesting childhood in the sense that you um, experienced all these things. But then when we come to Kida science, I really love to know about how ideas are formed. And it's something that really interests me as an entrepreneur myself. When I see these different entrepreneurs create really unique ideas, how are they formed? Where does this come from? So I'd love to just ask you to take me on the journey. How did the idea for Kida science come around? Yeah. When I was pregnant and got babies, I was working before that for a big corporation like Samsung as a marketing manager. And then when I had the babies, I felt like I really want to do something meaningful. And then I pumped into Jenny, the other co-founder uh, in Mothers in Business Network. Jenny was looking for a business person to help her new startup she was actually thinking of and planning to set up. And then also at the same time, we met with the third founder, Aino. And the idea where this all came from was like Jenny is actually a researcher and she was also chemistry and science a math teacher for teenagers. She started her doctoral thesis of thinking about like 
how should we engage more children towards sciences? How can we feel that they are confident and they want to do science and they are better at it? And she realized quite soon that it's too late in the teenage years. You have already built your identity and your feelings towards like, do I like math or science or do I not? And the experience is that you really have to start already with the preschool age, even for three-year-olds, like when they are building their identity. That's how then she turned out everything from the research to make the research with three to six-year-old children. Found out quite quickly that there is nothing she could research here in Finland, that there are not that much science education happening for that young age group children. So then Aino, as a teacher, set it up these science lessons or science clubs uh, in the University of Helsinki, where they did the research. Aino was teacher there, and then it kind of built naturally that uh, Jenny was doing the research, what's the best pedagogical model, and Aino was also testing what it requires from the teacher to actually teach this model engagingly with the children. And it happened for five years, so five years of academic scientific research, and then there were more than 1,000 families joining the research. When the research was over, Jenny and I were like, okay, thank you, parents, for this research. And they were like, what? You cannot stop this. My kids is asking for this every evening (laughs) when we are going to the next time. And um, yeah, that's how we ended up then founding Kiddes Science, because there was demand from the parents. But also at the same time, we then had the demand from the teachers that they were asking, like, okay, can we use this model and this thing in our kindergarten or preschool? And that's how we then validated and tried to set up this as a scalable model and started to raise funding for it and everything. It happened quite quickly and I had baby with me. Uh, so it was quite a ride, but, and it, it still is, it's been quite a ride for four years after that. Gosh. Well, you you just said that you had a, a six month year old during the whole process, right? And even, even actually having children anyway, during the whole adventure of building a business. Can you describe to me how that felt for you? It was something that I still felt like I really want to do something meaningful. So I had really big urge of doing something. So I tried to manage cost effectively all my time at home thinking about, okay, there I can go, can get one hour, there I can get, now they are sleeping, I can do something. And then gladly also I had my mom and dad also helping with me during the days when I actually could focus all my time for the fundraising and building the business. So, of course, I had the network and help. I cannot imagine what it would have been without my mom and dad and my husband. But at the same time, of course, it was exhausting, but I never felt that it was somehow super draining or super stressful. But maybe it's because you are doing something you are super passionate about. And we didn't also have to do like eight hours a day because it was kind of a starting the business. But of course, quite soon it was a full-time job. And of course, then I took my babies to the daycare and preschool. And um, then it kind of happened naturally that then I was with my kids uh, evenings and weekends. And then one thing I've always was a bit jealous that Jenny had the research background. I know was a teacher. I didn't have the education background, but then I soon realized that Well, I have the mom and parent background that I can see how this affects also with young kids, the science education and all the models. So immediately when my children were, um, the older one was three, mm-hmm. we went to the science clubs in Finland. And then I was there seeing her development, her excitement towards kids' science lessons and all those kind of things. So she was the test 
child of also like how I can and that's much easier than to talk about kids science also when you have your own experience from your children how it has affected their curiosity they try to find out and all the time asking for me mom can we do another science experiment when i go home <laughs> and they think i have the best work ever but you know what that gives you a way of really connecting with your audience right and your ideal clients because at the end of the day you know exactly how they feel yeah definitely and how they are engaging the stories and actually like because in kids science every lesson starts with the story where there is a problem that the children need to discover or solve the problem it's kind of an open ended situation but the stories are also so engaging and the characters in the stories that my kids are at sometimes like they are just playing the characters or the same time they are playing to be a paw patrol or frozen or something they are playing to be or robot hoselli and kelvin and pi and they might even ask that can we just read the story and then maybe next day or at some point they are asking to do the science experiments so it really comes naturally to their everyday life what a clever way of of making science more you know changing the way or the framework of looking at science you know from a younger age just making it more fun making it more entertaining right that's that's what you're doing making it entertaining yeah and i think like going back to the like how i learned the best way in the earlier's um and also in the school was like exactly let's do a project together i hated the lessons when they were like teacher lecturing something like okay this is the theory behind this and that and then you have to learn it by heart it's really boring i think we can all relate to that but when there is like a storytelling part you remember the story okay what happened there and if you actually discover it yourself do a project together it's like you are actually learning by doing and you remember everything so differently so i think that's the only way and especially the younger the children are you cannot expect to just give them facts and they would remember that's not happening it's like you really have to start from the child's perspective how they naturally learn through play through stories imagination and that's just crazy to see my kids how they are playing like oh my god the remote control can be a horse and it's like it's amazing their imagination i cannot even imagine anymore and i think we quite naturally as a parent too often we try to please them like i've tried to be the person that they don't need so usually it's like if i just don't give them immediately right answers or tasks to do when they are bored they start playing then they start using the imagination and then it's like okay i have my own time they are just playing there together with their imagination and they can do that for hours it's amazing and when you are in your imagination world playing it's like you don't then need anything specific was there any sort of business ventures you had you know gone down before was this or was it your first time what what was the uh this was my first uh startup uh, or own company and uh, i did i was like um kind of an advisor and uh i tried to help my friend who i actually knew even from the high school and uh, or even earlier middle school and she is having this um uh, fashion design company here in finland and i was actually that was one um option that i would have go there with her to found that company and think about how to grow that but then things happened and something but then i actually saw the really small company business uh, what it takes and how you as a solo entrepreneur 
build things and uh, the kind of network and community around it and all those kind of things. And then the other part, which I've been thinking recently that what helped me a lot to understand how smaller teams, smaller businesses, when you are creating something totally new was when I actually participated. Uh, nowadays, it's part of Discovery Channel. We had a new TV channel here in Finland called TV Visi, TV5. And we started that with a team of 10 people. And I was in charge of also doing brand corporations with creating a new TV show where we are then building these brand corporations. And um, I felt like that was quite the same feeling, like family doing together amazing things. But of course, we had then big company backing ups up who was the owner and those kind of things. So there were still these big targets you needed to meet, which is also same in startup life when you get investors you also kind of raise the bar of it's not only your company, it's also the shareholders and investors are expecting to you to meet the certain targets and get the growth. When you then came to Kitty Science and you were actually, you know, kind of a solopreneur, but then you had these two co-founders, so there were three of you. Were there any concerns that you had? Was there anything that you thought, mm, you know, maybe this might go wrong? Or what was sort of going through your head at that time? Because it's a, you know, a, a team thing, right? And Sometimes people are just starting things on their own, so it's quite different. I think when you are uh, setting a startup or company with other co-founders, it's really, really risky, of course, because you don't know how the personalities then work. People might think that, okay, maybe I should co-found this with my husband or partner, but people do get divorces (laughs) and all that. So it's not even as risky as that. Do you know the person already? And if you would know the person already who you found the company with, it might be even harder that then you have to be somehow thinking things differently, that it's not the friendship. So I think in our case, when I know and uh, Jenny knew only through the research, they weren't friends or anything. And also me, we have never met before. So it was a huge risk, but we just had our guts that, okay, this works. And we are really different personalities almost like the opposites in some certain things. But that has been an advantage that I am like thinking about the big picture, the vision. And then Aino has been helping, like thinking about, okay, well, what's the process to actually get there and being really detailed person and um, thinking about also like, what if things go wrong? And then I'm all the time thinking about, okay, if things go great, let's go here. And what's the next vision and uh, trying to be the inspiration. But if I think about that moment now, I wasn't super worried, but that might be because I'm super optimistic that I always feel like, well, it might work. It might not. We will see. You, you keep you keep talking about this, this optimism. And I think that's so critical in staying, you know, a vibrant, positive person, especially in business. But do you have any ways of retaining that optimism? I think the biggest thing is that my personality is the way that I just see the better side of everything, which is not always a good thing. At least some people might say like, if you would be more pessimistic, then you wouldn't disappoint. But my optimistic is so high that I don't even see the disappointments. (laughs) (laughs) And um, then I think that when you are celebrating small successes, it creates the snowball effect of keeping the optimistic alive. Like we are creating this culture in our team that it's okay to fail. It might be that it doesn't turn out well, but then at least we have learned something that this doesn't work, that let's try something else. 
And also, I think that's something we try to do with kids science with the children, that it's okay to try out. And every lesson is exactly like there's not one right answer that every child needs to do. You don't have the recipe of, okay, let's do this, 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 and then you have the outcome. It's more like the different children in the same group and lesson might have different outcomes. All of them are right. The journey there and the whole process is more important that you try out as a scientist as well. Like if you think about how children play to be a policeman or fireman or doctor, when they are playing scientists, the whole point is they are trying out and some innovations actually come from the things that it didn't turn out the way I thought. And that's a new innovation. So what happened next then? So of course you you built it in Finland, but was there, as you said, you were thinking, you know, international. What was the next step then? Actually, it came a bit naturally. So because of Jenny's research, it was something totally new and kind of innovative, like, okay, how should we teach science for three-year-olds? Like people are like, what? Why should you even teach science for three-year-olds? And then Jenny was asked to be keynote speaker in different kind of conferences and events. Also, there were media publishing. And of course, she did publish the research, what she did. And we generated then this kind of inbound demand. Also, it's quite before pandemic mostly, is that there were teachers and schools coming to Finland to have these visits like, okay, how the education happens in Finland. And then those people were interested also about Kita Science. So our first customers kind of came to Finland and came to us and we didn't even have a platform then. So we actually trained the teachers. We flew to Malaysia, for example. That was really crucial because then we tested out like, okay, what it needs for the teachers to do kiddie science. And then after that, think about, okay, what is the business model? What is the scalability part of here? We can scale easily. And then we built the platform and now it's like just sharing the access to the platform and you can learn everything from there by yourself. Okay. So there's no more physical education in terms of you going out and educating. No, we soon discovered that then we were only a team of, team of six people, I think. It's like, well, then we don't have resources. Like we can do <laughs> a couple of these trainings uh, in yeah. a year. So it's quite challenging to quite, scale that. Quite labor intensive, right? Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense to, to take it online and, and take it that way. So as of now then, you know, how many countries do you guys kind of operate in or, or are included in in, uh, in the educational system? Yeah, we actually just check uh, the recent metrics and uh, we do have paying customers, meaning that they are preschools, teachers pre- paying for our subscription, uh, yearly or monthly subscription. And we have those from 30 different countries. And most of them have been from like inbound that they have somehow found us and reached us. But then our own kind of a focus, what we are now doing with paid advertising and focusing is the US market. So that's kind of the next market. We are by ourselves trying to grow bigger and then also check the data that we have registered users in our platform because we do have this kind of a free trial from 130 countries. And we were like, what? Like we haven't even advertised there. So there is some kind of a natural inbound somewhere that this is really, really interesting. But then, of course, it's always challenge like, okay, how can you grow this really fast? And if you are everywhere, it's hard. But let's try to focus now for certain markets and build the uh, brand and everything from there. Brilliant. Well, that's insane. That's And that's just organic, those 130 free trials, basically, right? 
Yeah, it is. We are now trying to find also like, okay, how can we kind of utilize that? So is it then like word of mouth or is it that we are somewhere in media or something like we are not even 100% sure, but maybe it's more that people are searching for early years or Finnish education, science education, and then they pumped into us and register and try out the platform, which is really, really great. So, so you, you mentioned that the next step is the US market, right? And that's what you're going to be hitting. So what made you make that decision in the first place? We actually first thought that let's not go to the US, everybody goes there. <laughs> so, um, but then we, again, got some natural inbound customers, like these kind of childcare development center chains who wanted to use Kita Science. And they started to use us, really loved it. And then we were like, okay, maybe this actually would work in the US as well. And then there are investors, advisors who have contacted us and we have then, of course, talked with them, like, is it really reasonable? Should we go there? And we have found out that there is a lot of STEAM science companies for older children, but then it's really, really new things still for the early years. So the competition in that landscape is not huge yet because the homeschooling market in the US is also huge. And all the time growing because of COVID, we are really, really good also for homeschool parents who are teaching their children at home. So that's also kind of another distribution channel or target group, even though they can use the same platform, same product, and they have the same mindset. But um, I think those two, that there's a market and then there's also need and not huge competition in the early years. Well, that's that's also interesting because, of course, COVID actually must have encouraged a lot of either parents or teachers to take on or, or try your your product because it's perfect for the home environment, right? Yeah, it is. But then, of course, we should always remember, like, I think in overall adaptation that people trying out different platforms has grown. But then when you are a small player which we still definitely are, mm. it's like they usually naturally turn into big players, Microsoft, Google, even like Zoom yeah. having this. Uh, and big players then tend to kind of grasp and take the market. So that is also like we are still really a small player that not that many people really know us and then how to get the communication, everything super effective that they really know by heart or something why they should use Kita Science. Quite many parents just give the tablet to the kids and that's it. <laughs> so they just try to think yeah. the ways that how to get some free time and especially mm. if they are in lockdown. But that's why I think also the if you are a homeschool parent actually dedicated to teach your child that you don't have another job to fill your days with. And then I think we are really, really good fit for that. So I'd love to ask you really, has it been worth it? All that work you put into so far, the whole journey, building it up. Are you satisfied where, where you are right now? I'm always hungry. I'm always satisfied, but still I want all the time to achieve more. But, you know, with such a fast growing business that you've been working on, can you describe any mistakes, you know, any scenarios where it went wrong for you along this journey? Um... Maybe in some cases, the thing that we haven't focused enough, uh, when you are in a situation that you get inbound from 130 countries, then like, okay, do we spend enough time to test one market or one target group or one business model, one distribution channel and make that scalable fast enough? 
it might be that we have been a bit too is it hasty or like like changing too fast did we see results maybe no not big enough let's try something else that we haven't focused uh, enough time for a certain market but also because of covid that if covid didn't happen we might be in totally different situation that it affected so much also in general for the school business k12 early years the only customers that have ended with us are the ones that had to close their doors unfortunately so when that happens it's also then like okay should we change the focus of trying to help the earlier teachers educators to something else and there have been so many ideas what we could do but it's also different it's easier to say no maybe we should have done this earlier or this but you don't know it in that moment you just have to try it out and also we have many investors and advisors but they don't also have the right answers because you are building something new you are building new market you are building something totally new that doesn't exist yet they might have hypotheses maybe you should try this or this but in the end you just have to try it out yourself what we talked about at the beginning of this was or something that you mentioned which i think stood out was that your time management is quite good you know especially when you started and you're very good at balancing time between your kids or you know family life and business so what i'd love to ask you is you know what's your experience with work life balance because it's something that everyone struggles with and maybe you can share and describe that and your experience i've learned a lot through these four years i remember saying quite often that when i have this or when we have reached this then i will have time to do sports then i will have time for myself and um then somebody just said like there's never going to be that moment that everything is right and set up for you to do something and then i really tried to create new habits that i really take my time and also because of the remote working almost two years with because of covid i was like if i just get 15 minutes walk in the middle of the day it's better than nothing and then i started with the really small steps creating new habits if you are trying to do everything big or like super big changes in a minute it usually doesn't stick but how to create the small habits and increase that all the time i think that has been one thing then maybe to also be maybe like easy on yourself in a way that it's also okay for some evenings to do work if it's not super draining i can still go to sleep really well and i sleep 8 hours in a night and so many like those kind of things that it's not the end of the world and then i don't need to do meditation if i just don't feel it's right for me my meditation nowadays is actually painting abstract art that's something that i find really really kind of out of the box thinking i don't have to think work stuff and those kind of things oh and in finland we do have sauna in every household you might know seriously yeah what there are more saunas than people in finland so that has been my meditation because you cannot use your phone in the sauna or anything like that so i just lay there and be in the sauna for like ugh. It's really lovely like it's kind of the relaxing point for me. Some days I'm like I don't need to go to sports now. I just go to sauna and that's enough like for the mental health. Yeah, so trying to find the ways that kind of relax you personally and then I think there's this huge like okay, you have to read 100 books per year to be a good startup entrepreneur. I don't. 
but I listen a lot of summaries, podcasts, and those kind of things and try to learn from others. You don't need one mentor. It's the best if you just talk with other founders, because then you actually can reflect from different points, like how you have felt things. And I love to talk with other entrepreneurs and founders, like, okay, they are also in deep shit some days. And then next day you ask again and they're like, oh my God, amazing things just happened. And next day, oh my God, everything is not working. <laughs> yeah, it makes it more relatable. But so there was something you touched on there about the fact that, you know, you, you sometimes the mental health is just needs to be prioritized, right? And as entrepreneurs, it can be difficult sometimes to, we can neglect that. We can neglect our health. I mean, myself, I've, I've often neglected going to the gym because it's just, you know, you think, oh, you're too busy. But what you, when you mentioned really, which really interested me was the fact that, you know, there's always time for it and there's never a better time. There's never going to be a better time. But can you describe a moment in your, in your experiences where you thought, okay, something needs to change, you know, I'm, I'm not prioritizing or, um, you know, it's <laughs> a specific moment maybe that you can draw upon. When my children or my husband say like, you are now too much on your phone or, or, or on your laptop, or when I'm super like crumpy on them that they are just asking something else. Ah. So it's like, then it's like the moment when you're like, ah, oh, maybe I should take some time off now and do something else. So I think my husband is my meter and the kids, like they know when I'm not hundred percent myself. And then it kind of is the aha moment for me as well. Like, okay, maybe I should do things, things differently. And I have felt the moments when I'm like, I'm super close of now being super stressed and I've never had experienced the burnout. So I really, I don't know what it's like, but kind of on the glyph when I'm like, oh my God, if I now don't change, something bad might happen. Has there been a recent, you know, moment where that's been the feeling? Uh, no, not recently. I think, well, usually it's actually every time you are in your funding round, like, okay, how many months you have the runway or something like that. And then it's like six months left three months left, you see that runway going down and then you have tried to negotiate and everything, try to think about the next step, how to keep the company alive and the next funding round and those kind of things. So maybe those are the most stressful. Well, how do you justify taking a leap of faith into starting and building a business with being a mother of two, you know, being a mum, having children? How do you justify that? What's kind of going through your mind there? That's actually a funny question because I remember thinking about that. If I start a startup, I have more decision-making where I use my time. That if I'm the CEO and founder, then I can decide myself that nobody's telling to me how much do I need to work, which days it's more flexible than nine to seven or nine to five to a big corporation. But then in the end, you are your own boss in a way that then it comes to your head. Like, are you then meeting your own targets that you so are? So you question then, yourself, right? Yeah. <laughs> are you living your own expectations? So there was never a moment where you thought, okay, you know, I'm a, I'm now, I'm a mother. I, I've jumped into this business. You know, was it the right decision where, you know, the other alternative could be a, a secure, safe job with an income? I think it was more that because the experience before that, I worked only for big companies with secured salary uh, and everything like that. So even actually, I now have lower salary than I had in my previous jobs. 
but that wasn't the problem for me. It's more of a thing that I felt like if I go to a big corporation in the same positions, I wasn't that happy instead of what I now have learned through these four years, all the time new things. And that's supernatural for me. And it's energizing for me, the constant change that you are all the time making another step, a new change. If I am in a factory or a big business, it feels too boring for me. So it's so big difference. And I felt like I don't want to go back to the corporation. And I think it's also that urge for freedom and being your own boss that's just so special about about running your own business, no matter really what it makes. You know, like you said, it's less than what you were on before, but the the best thing, the part of it was just the freedom, right? Yeah. And also, I rem- remember even from my child- childhood that I hated when somebody gave me some kind of a restrictions or even my mom said that. In our family, you should do this and this. And it wasn't like backed by any reasonable reason for me. Like you cannot do this because just mom says or something like that. And I think it's the same like when we have now our own company, we can make our own decisions how to go forward. It's not that somebody's saying you need to do this. It's like we can think of all the alternatives and then we can make the decision by ourselves. And I love it. You're steering the boat, essentially. Yeah, and also I'm totally fine of taking the blame. Like if things don't go well, I'm totally off saying like, well, my idea didn't work. (laughs) Let's do something else. And in our company, we have tried really heavily that it's not that you have to always have the stamp from me our team is highly highly independent that if they think this is the best thing to do at the moment then they will do it of course in big picture then of course we need the founders and even board decision making but in everyday life you don't really need to bother me just do it and with that being said thank you for listening i'm patrick bates i do hope you'll revisit the channel But if you don't, please go build something.